0: This is the Dice Tower Network at dicetowernetwork.com.
1: Welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names, proud member of the Dice Tower Network, and this is episode 16, Love is a Battlefield, where we'll be discussing the top hits of Pat Benatar. Right, Tony?
0: Absolutely. We thought we would take it in a new direction. We thought we'd go to our CD collections and pull it out, and hey, Pat Benatar, 80s, best what can we say
1: cd we're going back to the 80s it's cassette baby
0: i i hear you but you know from my standpoint the um cd when we used to pick them off the top shelf right there and try to figure out what we want to play when we were those swinging single guys you know mm-hmm. that was the way to go right there but actually marty um episode last episode there 13 hmm Nice bumper music. I'm liking that. We're going high class. Oh
1: yeah, that's right. We got Eric Summer leading us off right there. He was. He just did it again for us.
0: Well, it's uh, incredible. It sounds like hey, we're becoming a professional show or something. I mean, we're actually becoming a show because we got the t-shirts.
1: That's right. I don't know if anybody saw it on uh, Twitter. We posted a picture of the t-shirt that we kind of made a test run. Our marketing manager went out and got a test run of ten shirts. Uh, from a local place. Tony did a great job. The colors on the shirt are absolutely gorgeous.
0: Yeah, I mean, that logo that Steve did for us um, really popped. I appreciate him taking it, giving me the white border around it, then adding the URL. You are going to be styling and profiling at Origins. Um, in the coming weeks.
1: Yep. Well, by the time this is out, I just came back and we just did a giveaway for a t-shirt. So hopefully somebody won that t-shirt while we were at Origins. That'd be cool.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to hear about that. And you know, it just seems like we were doing this a few days ago or something
1: are you? (laughs) Okay again the magic is gone but yes so just a few (laughs) days ago we just recorded episode 13 but Tony and I are going to be on vacation at the same time and we said uh, we need to go ahead and get episode 16 recorded mixed and in the can so that when we get back from vacation we can just release it. So we're recording this one way early. Yeah and
0: don't worry people it's not the pat benatar or joan jedd or any of those greatest hits
1: samantha fox that was your woman wasn't it
0: oh man god now you got me going trying to remember the song <laughs> oh what was that song
1: um, oh, uh, um is it touch me uh, oh
0: yeah that was it Oh, you're gonna to have to put that in as bumper music. I think I got rid of all those CDs. <laughs> oh, okay, oh, touch me. I want a few. Never mind. Yeah, don't. Sorry, yeah. don't do that. Don't go there. You're the you're the you're the guy in the band. Definitely not me. Um, but love is a battlefield. Uh, this show is going to be about miniatures. We've got a special guest on today, Steve, who helped us with Blood Bowl during our Super Bowl episode, for those of you that listened to it. Casual Corner was all about paper football, great episode, for those of you who didn't know how to play paper football, like who doesn't. We're going to talk a lot about miniatures in this episode, and it's something that Marty and I got into, oh, what was it, about a year, year and a half ago, Marty?
1: Almost two years ago. Really? Yeah, because it was uh, like August or the summer of 2011.
0: Okay, Um, I didn't realize it had been so long ago, but man, that that has been a while, hasn't
1: it? And think about it, for um, uh, miniature players, that's not a very long time, which is why we thought it'd be good to bring Steve on, who has a lot of years of experience with different types of systems. And um, we thought he might be just somebody good who's had a lot of years and and can be able to talk about it. So it's going to be good to have him on again. I think it'll be a good discussion because we're going to get into some of the – History of the games, where they came from, how they got started, and a lot of the systems that are out there today and how they compare. So it'll be a good discussion, I think.
0: Oh, I I know it will be. And and I think, aren't you still painting a miniature from back then?
1: Is it time for the first segment yet? I mean, Uh, it's it's primed. Prime counts, right?
0: (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Prime definitely. Hey, it beat my butt in the other game. That's all. (laughs) Doesn't it? (laughs) It doesn't matter. So, okay. Yeah, I think it's time for the first segment. So let's get over and get Steve on and um, let's get talking about miniatures. Let's do it. So, Steve, welcome back to the show. Appreciate you taking uh, time out of your evening and talk with us about miniatures. And so we got to always ask our question, bring people back, bring them back on. What have you been playing lately, man?
2: What have I been playing lately? Let's see. I've been playing some War Machine, of course. And Iron Kingdoms role playing, which you all know about, of course.
1: Steve was part of our um, role playing group that we're playing in. Wow, that was that was awesome. <laughs>
2: that was awesome. <laughs> Good job. Um, and <laughs> I, I actually play uh, Pathfinder and Fading Suns with Ron, whom you had on on the last episode.
1: Oh, that's cool. Oh,
2: nice. Little, oh, look at that. Look Little.
1: at that. It's a small
2: world. It is. I like
0: that. Um, so, what about any board games you're going? I know you were at the 100th um, board game celebration at Queen City Board Game Group there, and I just screwed that all up. Alex is going to hate me for Queen it. Queen City that's Game okay. Club, Queen City Game Club. Anything like that? You had to suffer through um, epic battle wizard spell casting game that I brought. Yeah,
2: that's added to my list of ones to get just because it's fun. Nice. <laughs> really? Are you being? I'm serious. serious. Okay. My wife enjoyed that game, too, so... Okay. All right.
0: Well, very good, then. Um, so, a lot of War War Machine. Uh, by the way, Steve plays a um, Gobber. Is that is that right? Yes. The, uh, he plays the
1: Mercs. No, in he the... He
0: plays Mercs in War Machine, but in the Iron, Iron Kingdom's roleplay. Play. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's a uh, gobbler, Goblin. Is that a right? Gob. What are they called? Boy, we're going to cut this out. <laughs> No, we're not. No, we're People
1: not. want to hear our faux pas.
0: So anyway, in the recent episode, um, our last during this week, <laughs> Steve unfortunately.
1: This is off to a
0: good start. This is solid. I am I am complete. Hey, I was on the road today, so Steve Steve's poor character didn't really get to do a whole lot in Tuesday night's campaign. Um, his little campaign was was being. I don't know, I kinda of screwed it up. I was the GM and let me tell you, GMing is harder than you think at times.
1: That's why I haven't signed up to do it yet.
0: It's amazing. I was I was I mean, especially when you have a player that suddenly breaks everything you had planned, but that's okay. <laughs> you need to be able to adjust. When he kills one of your main characters, you're like, Wait, what? That's all right. We we can handle that. But
2: look, that was so that was so funny. Uh, it, it, uh, it is a gobber goblin. Gobber, it's gobber goblin. It's a goblin. Okay.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that night, Todd, the professor who we've had on an episode before, what we were playing, and then Todd took his character um and, and rightly so i won't go into the backstory but all of a sudden he said i take a dag and just stab it right in your chest and Tommy's like uh and you could see the wheels in his head were just spinning it's like what do i do now
0: okay not it not only has this changed the follow-up to that but it's also ruined every other adventure i was going to write okay fine <laughs> I, can, I can i can deal with this that's fine but anyway so but we're not here to talk last episode we or previous episode we talked about role playing games. We're here to talk about miniatures tonight. Mm-hmm. So, um, so from a history standpoint, people probably don't realize just how old miniature wargaming, hence Love is a Battlefield. It has been around forever. Steve, you sent us some. You sent us some links. Um, I'll kick it over to you to kind of shorten up the history. Give us a summary.
2: I'll, I'll try to summarize as best I can. Yeah, I mean, we can, um, and we could just take
1: it. We can take it bit by bit because it does look like there are like almost like ages of miniatures games where uh, there's like the uh, one age, and then there's some changes later on, which grows a little bit more, and then another age that's more recent. Yeah. So just go ahead, and we'll just take them piece by piece.
2: I, I actually did some research online and went on Wikipedia, and then I also found the Historical Miniatures Game Society, and they mm-hmm. have a great website, and a lot of this information is from there. Um... But if you go back in history and look at one of the first military games, it's thought to be made by the Chinese, and it's called Wei Hai, if I pronounce that correctly, which today we know as Go. Oh, yeah, okay. Where you, you have the black and white, like they're like marbles that you place on the board, and you try to surround your opponent. Right. I've tried to play it, I just have never been able to figure out exactly how it works. Hmm. And then in India, there's a game called Shaduranga, which i yes we'll go i probably yeah, botched that good. but that is the game that chess derived from oh okay and one of the things that chess did was it gave us the military figures and specific roles to the pieces on the board right and i know some of y'all probably play chess and you know it's it's a military game it's a strategy game where you're trying to figure out how to capture the other person's king. Yes.
0: And I think, Steve, when it goes to chess, I mean, that's the classic board game of, of you know, everybody, I think, learns how to play chess, forgets how to play chess. I know when I was growing up and, and I learned how to play chess, I never realized just how in-depth it was, oh, yeah. you know. It's amazing. I remember, Marty, you and your college roommate, you had a board set up in your dorm room.
1: Yeah, and what we would do was... Um each day, if, if somebody was in the room, they would make their move. And then when I or he came in, he would make his move. So we played it over a course of several days. But yeah, and it's, it's funny. I had never really thought of chess as a miniatures game until you really think about what's going on. Well, wait a minute. There are pieces that have different abilities, different movement capabilities. And it's very strategic. I mean, go and chess are considered, you know, there's no luck involved in those games at all. It's strictly skill.
0: And it's one of those things where, you know, there's always, there's um, besides books and books and books on this, it, there, are, there are defensive strategies. And most of all, it, it teaches you a lot about tactics from the standpoint in being able to anticipate multiple moves. It's an, it's an incredible teaching uh, tool as well to help you analyze a problem. So there's no doubt about it. So after chess, um, I mean, it, when did that come out? About how long ago?
2: Oh, that was way back in, I don't know, 12, 1300s. They have games of that showing up. Mm. So that's mi- Middle Ages and before then. But then fast forward to about 1780s, the uh, Duke of Brunswick took chess and kind of expanded on it, and he came up with a game that had 166 squares, and each square was coded for a different terrain. And then he had pieces that would move on the board, and depending on what kind of terrain they were going through, it would adjust their movement, either move them faster, slower, or whatever. And each piece represented groups of men as opposed to a single person on the.
1: Which is very much still in play today because just like in miniature Games Day, you have the effect of terrain affecting your, your movement. And then you also have the idea of one single piece representing like a whole unit Right. in, in some games right
0: and, and i'm looking here steve uh, i don't know did, did you say 166 were 1,666 squares sorry
2: 1,666 okay I mean, that's wow. just amazing <laughs> that's a lot of squares <laughs> sure
0: i mean yeah i didn't realize when you sent this out and i was reading over it just how far back it went and you know that's pretty impressive for back then for you know not having manufacturing i can only imagine some poor guy <laughs> with a knife trying to whittle <laughs> this and you know i just it's it's unreal to me but what i really found interesting as you continue reading through this is how it went you know in the 1800s when the what was it the Prush- is that prussians I mean? Prushins. Prushins. Mm-hmm. thank yeah. you Uh, Used it to help them in their military battles, which, you know, when I I think of all the World War II movies, you know, Memorial Day was just recently, and watching them slide the ships and the tanks across all the um, boards and all. But basically, you know, then they were doing the same thing, uh, and I didn't realize that.
2: Yeah, and the cool thing with the Prussians is they started to introduce, like, one of them introduced a sand table map where they could adjust the terrain with the sand to make hills and valleys and rivers and things like that. They ended up showing it to the court and the court, the king was like, this is really neat, decided to show it to his generals and the generals at first weren't impressed with it. They were like, this is a silly game. But as they started to play it, all of a sudden as they got towards the end of it, one of the generals goes, this isn't a game. This is training for war. I must recommend it to the whole army. And he realized that You know this is you're actually moving pieces like your army and it was very good for them for strategy like you were saying and for figuring out troop movements and things like that
0: i know uh, unreal a a sad note is that the guy who did all this killed himself later but okay anyway really Um, yeah yeah he he did and well i mean hey guys if you won't next time we have and i'm the gm i'll bring my daughter's moon sand with me (laughs) that stuff's fun that it is fun and we can have movable terrain you know
1: (laughs) what is moon sand
0: moon sand oh it's it's the coolest thing it's it's formable putty sand i guess is how i would you can form it and it's sand but it forms a good solid castle it's kind of like what i would say um wet sand at the beach
1: but it it stays packed yeah Yeah.
0: and it makes a mess it'd look really good on your geek chic table
1: Yeah, let's not bring that.
2: (laughs) 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 Sorry. Okay, getting back to the history again. Uh, The other cool thing was the U.S. military started to use war games to train their soldiers also and their generals. And the Navy was one that especially used it. And in World War II, uh, Fleet Admiral uh, Chester W. Nimitz explained to a Naval War College class in 1960 that The war with Japan had been reenacted in the game rooms here by so many people and in so many different ways that nothing happened during the war that was a surprise. Absolutely nothing except the kamikazes at the end of the war.
1: And then who in the world would have expected that one anyway? Exactly.
2: And it just amazes me that all these generals are sitting around, you know, pushing these little ships around. Okay, if the Japanese come down here, well, we can move up here. Well, what if we they come over here? Well, we'll move our ships over here, and we know they go this fast, and we go this fast, and this is our firepower, this is their firepower. So you have kind of the military war game that was started. Right,
0: and, and if you think about it, before computers, this is how they did simulations. Mm-hmm. This is how they were able to train themselves on being able to say, hey we should react so that you have people are not caught unprepared and so from that you know you have you're taught something and you're going you use it in everyday life i guess from them and from that where did they go after after the war
2: after the war well yeah um actually back in 1913 H.G. Wells who is considered the father of modern war gaming or the hobby, at least, and
1: my favorite classic author.
2: Awesome. <laughs> he, okay. Uh,
1: yeah, well, he hey, can't. I read. All, hey, I'm cultured. I read some classic <laughs> authors when I was growing up. I read all this sci-fi. Well, of course, I was into sci-fi. So he's
0: got some good stuff. Yeah. You also just read Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing in
1: preparation for the movie. Yes, I did. Okay. Well, I'm proud very of it. Good. I'll speak Eliza- Elizabethan to you if you want me to. Uh, that's
2: okay. Okay.
0: <laughs> and I'll break out. I'll break out some more Samantha Fox. Scout <laughs> Doth Protest. <laughs> Too much.
2: Uh, so H.G. Wells writes okay.
0: this book. Okay, back to the yeah, show. Here's,
1: here's, tell him the name of the book. I love the name of this. This is the uh, this is the rule book, I guess. Yeah,
2: in 1913, he published "Little Wars: A Game for Boys from 12 Years to 150, and for a More Intelligent Sort of Girl Who Likes Games and Books." There you go. <laughs> of
1: course, that probably would not fly today, but you know.
2: His idea was to create this game as an alternative to war and nations would play a war game as opposed to go to war.
1: And did he have, did he use, I guess, a uh, little miniature pieces
2: for this? He did. He actually had miniature cannons that shot little pellets. Oh, that's cool. And so you'd line up the armies across from each other and then shoot, you know, like he did with the green army men when you're a little kid in a BB gun. Right.
1: Ah,
2: <laughs> same idea. <laughs> get out of town that's too neat
0: that's pretty ingenious that they came up with that all right so hg wells pulls it together 1913 war
2: that was the start of the war gaming hobby with the miniatures and they started producing miniatures and things like that for people to to build and put together and then we'll fast forward a bit here to 1953 a guy named charles roberts created a company called tactics he created Paper board and cardboard counters. And the board had a map on it, like a topographical map. And you'd move the counters around the board and roll dice to find out the damage and things like that. And this game actually picked up really well. And he was able to start a game company nobody's ever heard of called Avalon Hill.
0: Oh, I've heard of it. Uh, (laughs) Yeah.
2: And, And what year was this? That was in 1953. Okay.
1: Wow. Because also around that time, I had been reading that there was this uh, another gentleman around that time named uh, Jack Scrubby, who was um, a manufacturer of military miniatures, and supposedly he led to the rebirth of miniature, or miniature gaming hobby, wargaming hobby, in the late nineteen fifties. Ah. He starting a gaming club uh, around seventy one, and they started getting together and, and playing. And I think that was the gaming club that actually turned into Origins.
2: Ah. No. Mm-hmm. Cause the success of Avalon Hill and another company called Sim- Simulation Publications Incorporated. hmm They started this national war gaming convention. Oh, okay. No
1: that was it. Maybe that was yeah. the that went on the origins. Oh, okay.
2: They brought in other gaming companies though. Okay. And that was Yeah, it was probably in the 70s because... Before that was 1969 when the Strategics and Tactics magazine came out, and they had had paper counters with their, game, with their magazine so people could use them and play with them, and so that kind of got the people involved. And then, of course, Avalon Hill came out with all these other games. Oh, gosh, I can't think of half of them anymore.
0: I had Panzer General.
2: Yeah, stuff like that, and what, well, Axis and Allies, was mm-hmm. that an Avalon Hill? Yeah, so I did read um,
1: this wrong. It wasn't, it wasn't Jack Scrubby. It was the it was the guy who said he started a gaming club. This Jack Scrubby guy started a gaming club out west, but he was just originally making uh, metal miniature figures, and then decided to put and he sold those just as like as like army men, but then he decided to put a game around it, and in nineteen as I see fifty seven he launched the War Game Digest, which was the first publication devoted to military miniatures gaming. And then in 62, he began to publish what's called, it was called Tabletop Talk, which I thought was interesting because we have a show called Tabletop. is another publica- uh, promotional publication for his miniatures and sets of miniature rules. So it's interesting how those two guys kind of like almost reinvigorated the, the miniature wargaming. I think probably a lot had to do with it too, was just being able to mass manufacture manufacture the miniatures at this point. Yeah.
2: And it, was, it wasn't as expensive to do that anymore.
1: Oh, that's correct. Yep. Because it does go into the process of his molding and everything and how he was able to drop the cost real cheap to where he got down his, his uh, miniatures were 15 cents a piece in the early 60s.
2: And then, of course, that led to uh, Gary Gygax creating Chainmail, which was for fantasy.
1: Yeah, so I think his thing was, hey, I want to make a military game, but I don't want it based as a current military or historical, I'm going to use this fantasy based idea and then come up with that chain mail, which eventually led to, I guess, him creating dungeons and dragons.
2: Yep. And then games workshop somewhere got in there and started manufacturing. What is it? Warhammer, Warhammer 40 K for fantasy and science fiction. And now,
1: now it's just blown up. Yeah. You you can't even name all the miniature gaming companies anymore. I guess, when did Games Workshop hit? Was that in the 80s, 70s, or 80s?
2: Um, I want to say 70s. Founded in 1975.
1: 75, okay. And they started out with Warhammer?
2: Well, they, they originally manufactured wooden board games, as, uh, such as Backgammon, Moncala, which—oh, I won't go into Moncala. Uh, that's an African game. Uh, Nines, Men's, Morse, and Go.
1: hmm
2: and then it later imported Dungeons & Dragons into England. Provided the funding to found Citadel Miniatures.
1: And then it just kind of went from there.
2: And yeah, they did a lot with role-playing games at first. And then in 91, their miniature war games, Warhammer Fantasy and 40K.
1: There you go. So it was my, actually, they actually came out that line more recently than what I thought they would have.
0: Yeah. So I guess, you know, from from the board gaming and i remember you know we've talked about this before marty and steve is that you know i remember walking into the toy shop in charlotte north carolina and seeing you know just the bookshelves of all these games of all these avalon hill games and then boom they disappear they're gone they're just not around i remember the toy store having a case of the miniatures and things like that and it just died off and i until i was reading on the um hmgs.org website that it correlated to PCs. You know, Dungeons and Dragons put the first nail in the coffin, and then bam, here comes the PC.
1: Oh, because I guess the PC would be a lot more fun to simulate these things, because so you'd visually see what's going on,
0: and you could yeah do all that. You could do your own wargaming, and you became that person. So, but what I find so amazing is I remember on my Commodore computer, yes, Commodore guys, go <laughs> I go Google 64. that. I mean, Vic 20.
2: at least it wasn't an Osborne
0: this is true you're absolutely right or Tandy 1000 or, or Trash 80 uh-huh. TRS 80 um, but anyway they didn't know they were going into the nostalgia 80s did they when they started listening to this podcast um, but I think back I said what was one of the first games I had on my computer chess right. you know it, it's just kind of interesting that it all rolls back, you know. It's, yep, it, it, it's amazing from that standpoint.
1: Well, and think about um, one of the big games that we used to play. Oh, wow, this is really dating us in college on your Commodore Beachhead Bubble Bobble. Okay, <laughs> well, okay, there was there was Bubble
2: Bobble, which okay. we can
1: go into a whole segment on that game and how many hours we wasted on that. But um, oh, sorry, Beachhead. <laughs> Remember yeah, that war simulation type game, mm-hmm. and um, but anyway, so yeah, I can totally see where that kind of it kind of phased away because like, why play with little miniatures anymore when hey, I can I can see the nice graphics and and play this all online. But then there, again, there was the resurgence, I guess what we found in the late '80s, early '90s, with uh, mm-hmm. Warhammer, Warhammer 40k, and I guess it may have been the, the fact that people maybe wanted to get back to the table and move away from the computer or. There's the whole hobby aspect of the game, which we had not even, you know, talked about yet.
2: Well, there's a hobby and the social aspect.
1: Right. That's true.
2: You know, in the old days, it wasn't like the M- MMO, whatever they're, <laughs> they're called now. <laughs> like of, Warcraft or, you know, where you can sit there and talk with other people while you play. Or have online multiplayer. Yeah. It was just, you're playing by yourself on the computer against the computer. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing about the miniatures is you can get out of the house, go down to a store, have friends over, set up a game and play for a couple hours and actually have interaction.
0: Oh, oh yeah, without a doubt. I mean, that's the big benefit. I mean, and I guess what's so funny is for me personally is that I never really knew. You know, we lived through all that change. I never knew what they were. I saw them in movies. I saw them, you know, I, well, the first time I remember um, seeing a miniature battlefield was in one of the James Bond movies. I think it was um, Goldfinger, where they had the little cannons and all.
1: Austin Powers' gold member? No. No, no.
2: Gold, no I don't <laughs> even go there. I, I got, it was in gold, Goldfinger, Um i know which one you're talking about yeah and
0: he was sitting there and they were they had the little cannons and the cannon actually moved on the thing to shoot james bond but anyway um but you know that's where i saw it but i didn't realize how much and what they and what it was back then and you know i kind of and it's kind of interesting that i'm now playing a miniature game war machine you know i didn't realize you know just how long i'm like oh what is this new hobby this miniature stuff and Bam! Here you go, Steve. You you show me this site, and wow, it's been around for seven hundred years, <laughs> huh? Imagine that. Yeah,
1: but I guess the the hobby portion that that we're kind of into with the with the collection and all this stuff and the and the painting, I guess, really didn't manifest itself until the past fifty or sixty years, right? Uh, uh, Starting in the fifties, which we which we had talked about, and I think probably one of the first times I ever really saw a real gaming setup there was a, at a local mall here, there was a gaming store inside the mall. And I walked in there one time and somebody was playing. It was, it must have, it had to have been Warhammer because I, I knew it was fantasy. And I didn't understand what in the world was going on. I just saw tons of little figures that I thought looked really cool on the board and just hands and handfuls of dice being thrown all the table all the time. And I'm going, I don't even know what you people are doing. I, at that time we were just in card games and stuff like that. And, and I tried to figure it out and I said, eh, this is just too much for me and kind of excused it because it just looked early on just too intimidating. And I don't know, Steve, when, when did you first try a miniatures game?
2: I, I actually was introduced to miniatures at a very early age through models, you know, airplane models, car models. My brothers and I, we used to sit around and build models and paint them and, and do that well i enjoyed that but i also was always looking for the fantasy stuff mm-hmm. so i found a store that had fantasy miniatures and i was like oh these are awesome so i started collecting different elves and warriors and cool sci-fi spaceships and stuff and put those together and painted them and met somebody and this is right around the time mordheim came out in 98 i believe it was right which Mordheim is a skirmish game by GW. He goes, hey, there's rules for those. I'm like, what? There's what for, for these miniatures? He goes, no, there's rules where you can actually play a game, put them on the board, and play. And so I was like, oh, that sounds fun. So I started with Mordheim, which is a skirmish game. So you only have like five or six miniatures you're worried about at a time. That was my introduction to
1: okay. it. Okay. And you said that was around 98.
2: Yeah. And you've been doing it ever since then. Ever since then. Wow. That's, that's pretty impressive right there.
1: Now, but what did you what did you move to after that? When did Blood Bowl and those sort of things come in?
2: Blood Bowl was out before Mordheim. But I had never heard of it, and the same friend who introduced me to Mordheim introduced me to Blood Bowl. And he's like, "Oh, you got to try this game. This is the best game." And it's actually one of my all-time favorites. So I'd like, "Okay, I'll give it a try." And he had an extra uh team, so I and I'm like, okay, I gotta get this. I bought a team and we started playing and of course you have league play and all that and then I started picking up more elves and stuff and decided I need to give Warhammer a try. Gave that a go and somewhere in there I decided I could demo these things so I became an Outrider with Games Workshop when they had that program going. So I'd go to the different local stores and demo them and show people how to play them and talk about painting and building the miniatures and and all that and then tried 40k and so of course i have all these miniatures from all those games right uh, i went down to grand tournament that gw had down in atlanta which was awesome you know you have what a thousand or more people all playing miniature games painting talking about it and this is right after lord of the rings had come out and they were selling their lord of the rings miniature games And I was down there and I I got to demo the Lord of the Rings tables, which is one of my favorite GW games. And we had these little guys come in and they're sitting there moving the guys around. Okay, Aragorn moves over here and then he attacks you. Well, I'm moving the orcs over here. And I'm like, wait, 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 guys. These have rules that go with them. Yeah, we know. So aren't you using them? Yeah, we are. But Aragorn can't move 24 inches in a when one movement, why not? <laughs> so he kind of explained it to him. And all of a sudden the, you see this little light go on in their heads like, oh, wow, this is really cool. <laughs> so you mean I can only move this far and he has to move this far and he might be able to shoot me with his bow and arrow. And then I get to shoot back. And yeah, it's like, wow, <laughs> lots of fun stuff.
1: So you kind of got into it just starting out. I You enjoyed the, the painting and stuff. And then it's like, oh, there's the rules. Yeah. It seems to be that seems to be a to appeal, an appeal to a lot of people is the hobby part. And when I say the hobby part, I mean the putting together the models, the painting, the basing, which there is a lot to that. I don't know if you if you've never played a miniatures game before, just go out there and go on to YouTube and like, say, search for helping painting miniatures. And it's just hundreds and hundreds of videos. And there's all these techniques for painting miniatures. And one reason that I actually, it took me a long time to get into it or try it because I was so intimidated by the hobby part because I'm not artistic with drawing or painting or anything like that. And I sit there and look at that small scale model. I'm like, there's no way. There's no way I can put multiple layers of paint on this thing to make it look worth anything that's what actually pushed me away. It wasn't the rule set necessarily. It was just the hobby aspect, but you do a great job. painting. Well, no, I, and I appreciate that, <laughs> but I'm just saying, that's what it, that's why it took me so long because I was intimidated by that part of it. Yeah.
0: And for, and, and for me, I didn't even know that, like I said, I didn't even know all this existed until we started doing the work machine and it was like, okay, well, well this is interesting. And, and then the first time I, <laughs> you're right, Marty. I, I wish I watched the first YouTube. You don't use normal house primer on these things. Okay. Lesson one. Um, and I, and I, th- I think from my standpoint, it was, Hey, once I started doing it, 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 it's fun. It's relaxing. And I remember my father sitting there building models, you know, while he would, you know, and, and I would, I couldn't paint a model, but he would paint, you know, the USS constitution, uh, the Eagle and things like that. That's kind of like what my relaxation is. You know, I can sit there and slap, slap some paint on a troll and it's amazing how they go from that black gray primer that we do to the detail that we can bring out with the three-time magnifying eyeglasses that we have to wear now. You, you use
2: magnifying glasses? Uh,
0: Steve, we're not all as talented as some people. <laughs> and it's like, you mean there's detail in there? There's a buckle? <laughs> and, holy cow. I mean, yeah. Uh,
1: but, you know, I will, I will say this. Going back to, um, okay, before that. So there's there's the hobby part of just painting. But that's not the only miniatures game. So, Tony you and I were actually one of the uh, jumped on hero clicks right after it came out.
0: Yes, we did
1: that. That's considered a miniatures game. It's called a collectible miniatures game because you got these booster boxes that you did not know what was in them. And what appealed uh, to me there was, well, two things. One, it was superheroes. Very cool. Second, ah, I can try a miniatures game with pre painted figures. And I like that concept. So, you and I tried the HeroClix. for some reason it didn't huh, click with us I uh, I, but, I, but I, it, I know why i, for I can't me. remember why why it was
0: because you i'm sorry, I understand that you can have alternate universes and all this other stuff, but having three spider mans on the playing field made no sense to me
1: I agree and i i and that's right that's right i can appreciate that and now, and another game that we tried um right after that was the uh, Lord of the Rings uh, miniatures game. Not, not the Games Workshop, but it was, there was another collectible miniatures game, and I can't remember who it was by.
2: I, I think Games Workshop did that one also. No, no it was, it was, it was somebody. They had uh, two for a while. It was, it
1: was, a, it was a hex-based plastic model yeah. that were pre-painted with little dials on them.
2: I think GW did that one too. Or, or, did,
1: or, did, they, or did somebody else get the license?
2: They might. A, I thought it was GW, because I know the GW store sold them for a while. Yeah. But
0: either way, yeah, it was like that was really cool. It didn't go anywhere. It was um
1: Well, it, it lasted as long as the movies did, <laughs> which is kind of what the T C G did too.
0: That's true. And but I remember trying to play that one and I was saying, you know, you had all those special symbols on it, and we thought the really neat thing was the hits were calculated on the base and you could do that. And then after that, and Steve, I don't know if you've ever tried anything, we
1: will, oh, Hold on, can I cut you oh, in real please? quick? Sabertooth Games. Saber- That's who made that. That's it. Now, they That's may it. have gotten a license to be able to make a Lord of the Rings product. I don't know. That's but, right. But they were published by Sabertooth Games. I'm sorry, Tony. No go problem. ahead.
0: But then that led us to our next miniature game where the bases never stayed on, and it was Dreamblade.
1: No no no, 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 no. Uh, the bases that never stayed on was... um. Well, hold on. We'll come back to that second. Okay. Dreamblade was a good game.
0: Oh, that's right. Dream Blade.
1: Dream Blade was from uh, Wizards of the Coast. And it was the HP Lovecraftian type theme with the real horror type things. And it was very okay. much almost like a chess-based game with these pieces. And I really enjoyed it, but it, it flopped. And Wizards of the Coast didn't stay with it that long. I believe the basis that you were talking about that fell off was the um, Warcraft miniatures.
0: Oh, that's right. Yes, where
1: where the bases would come off on that, where you could snap in bases and use them and stuff. And they had issues with that. We tried a bunch of different miniatures, Steve, that, that just didn't involve painting just because we wanted to be able to have that whole concept of moving figures around that had different abilities, rolling dice, line of sight and all that had terrain and all that but we just didn't want to get into the painting. So we tried a lot of them and I would consider those just as much of a miniature game as I would, you know, war machine or Warhammer.
2: Uh I, I would too. And I think they're great intro games to those because you learn the concepts, you learn how they work. They're not as involved in the hobby part. And a lot of people can pick them up and go and play them. And I mean, we didn't even talk about terrain in the hobby right. part because that's a whole nother hobby. Mm -hmm. that you know you you look at train stores where people build their model train sets and have these huge elaborate things with mountains and trees well in miniature gaming you get that too
0: And, and and that's a future episode how to do terrain where I don't think we're doing it, Marty. I think we're just going to turn it over to somebody else, like your brother-in-law or something. Because right, <laughs>
1: well, it's not. It's not that we're going to talk about how to do terrain stuff. It's just how to enhance your gaming with things like terrain. And there oh, are no, some. No, no, no.
0: I want to. I want to talk about terrain. I want how to build terrain. I want. We're going to be informational, man.
1: Yeah, well, people can YouTube that thing and find out more than we can. about. Okay, but fine. anyway, but no, what I was going to say is you know there are a lot of people that that's an important aspect of the game. Uh, I know some people that's like. Uh, They don't want to have these little, okay, for War Machine, lots of times during tournaments, we'll use little pieces of felt, uh, green felt to represent um, uh, forests, blue felt for water and stuff. Some people don't want any part of that. They want actual, you know, wooden trees like you would get at at a train store and stuff with the elaborate terrain because you're engrossed in that. And so a lot of people spend a lot of time on the board and the train and, and forget about the miniatures. And Tony, remember last year at Origins, remember that mm-hmm. uh, game we saw of the Battle of San Juan Hill? Oh, yeah. Was it like was, was it like an 8x12, 8x16 table? It was huge where they had basically recreated the entire terrain of that famous battle. And I don't know how many little miniatures they had on there, hundreds. It mm-hmm. was ridiculous. Re- ridiculous the number of miniatures they had on each side and i remember taking pictures of it and i was just like you know i almost started doing the slow clout for these people it's like bravo because that's (laughs) something i can never do so a lot of people just really get into it they want to relive the detail now we play games like war machine warhammer but there's this whole historical miniatures game that still exists today where people want to recreate famous battles in the Civil War, World War I, World War II, etc., using the actual units and the type of uh, uh, vehicles that they had at that time to try to recreate those famous battles.
2: Now, there, there's a difference between fantasy gamers and science fiction gamers and historical okay. gamers. Histori- historical gamers take it seriously. I mean, they get down to the color of the uniforms of the troop. Okay, And if they're doing a, a specific type of troop like uh let's say 101st airborne division they will research those colors that they wore and paint them to that if they're doing some scottish unit that wore kilts they'll paint the exact tartan on those kilts to represent that and it can't be different because then it's not that unit it's a different unit
1: You know some people might think well, that's obsessive, but no that's what they enjoy they it, there's they enjoy reading about the history of these people that they're they're playing and and learning about their culture and stuff and then applying that to a game and uh-huh. i it's not something that I probably would do, but I really appreciate the people that do that because that's their passion they get oh, yeah. into it
2: and i've I've seen some battlefields like I saw one for Gettysburg one time, like you said the San Juan hill one i mean, it was just incredible, and they actually took aerial photographs and figured out how to lay it all out on this, no
1: way. this board
2: oh yeah and they had the trees and they they figure out okay according to these photos here from the battles of Gettysburg this was here and this was here so if we scale it down it should be here here and here and it's like the amount of detail and study you have to do just to do that is is crazy
1: it's funny though when you think about those those famous battles though <laughs> when you play the game, the result might not be exactly what happened in the battle. And that would always kind of mess with me. Say, <laughs> say for example, in Gettysburg, say the Confederates won. It would be like, wait a minute, but it didn't really happen that way. <laughs> I guess you just have to get over that part that when you do yeah. something like that, it may not end in the same result as what actually happened in, in real history. And you talked about how some of those historical gamers really get into it. I know at a local gaming store here, we have different miniature groups of players we do have 40k and war machine but the guys that tend to take it the most serious and really get into it terrain and everything are the flames of war or flames of war guys flames of war. Yeah. and they're the ones i think you say that they want to make sure the tanks are painted correctly with the right color of camouflage and, and they're done uh-huh. you know just right and when they lay out the battlefield they we had a road here and there was a building here and all this stuff and again hats off to them i think that's really cool i think painting the tedious little models in flames of war would get to me. I don't see how do that, but
0: yeah, I'm with you there, Marty. I don't ever see, I mean, I like you, I appreciate what they do and and applaud them and their efforts for the realism and everything. They take their hobby. That's great. That's what they enjoy. That's what makes them relax. But for me, that's not going to happen either. And by the way, my trolls are painted to the way trolls were back in the day. So I'm realistic too. (laughs) And they look good thank you he, his, his
1: trolls do look good they, he used one the other night in the role-playing game and it was very i was just scared looking at it
0: yeah i hear you that was my first attempt at modeling them, changing the model too which is a whole nother subject about you know people go in and, like war machine you can go in and they use magnet magnets to be able to stick different weapons on them and change their arms to change other stuff which i you and i haven't even gone into yet but one thing i won't touch on because i i know for the people that are listening we're we're, we don't want to run as long as we did last time also the other thing that scared me was the rule book when y'all slapped war machine rule book on me i was like you got that uh uh that ain't gonna happen it's 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 the rules it's it's amazing and the guys who can digest that steve you're one of them It, it, it it amazes me that you can remember all that yeah, but
2: the rules section isn't that thick, because there's a lot of fluff in there. I know there's fluff. But
1: but I, but, but I, think, what, I think what he's saying, and I, and I agree. So we were talking about this the other night, and I won't go into the aspects of it. But there was this thing, it's like, wait a minute. If this guy has this ability, is he affected by this? And we had to pull out the rule book and look it up. There's a lot of little things like that. You kind of know the base rules, but it's the rules that break the game that you kind of go and figure it's like, you know, okay, like this terrain slows you down unless you have this and then the right. terrain doesn't slow you down. That's what I mean by breaking the rules, uh, those sorts of abilities. And, and they can be intimidating. And that's why I talked about earlier, maybe things like hero clicks or a good intro to that uh, to kind of get you over that. And and that isn't intimidating. And, and for me, kind of moving in, in a different thing is I think there's a couple different classes of players for miniature games the way I see it, Steve, and I could be totally wrong. You've been playing a lot more than I have. It seems that those people that are really good at their miniature game and do the tournaments and, and really understand the rules and the units and stuff, it's like that's their main game. They don't play a lot of other different things, maybe here and there, but that's what they focus on. They All read right. the rules. They watch uh, battle reports. They, they study constantly and personally I enjoy way too many games to be able to spend that much time on war machine to get that good at it. Right. Am I off the and, mark there or is, is it just seems that no, way?
2: No. You're 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 right. And you have I mean you have your casual war gamer, your semi-casual and then your serious no other life war gamer. Right. <laughs> but even it seems and,
1: for semi-casual I, I don't know. I played in a tournament earlier this year. And when the person that you're playing against knows your guys better than you do, you, you just feel so intimidated. You know, he's like telling yeah. you uh, your guy can't do that because he 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 read knows the stats. And I'm sitting there trying to read the card to read them. And I'm like, okay, I can just see I, I am not going to be able to elevate myself to the part to where I feel like I can actually win a game here unless it's against other guys like me.
2: I, I have a hard enough, enough time remembering my wife's cell cell number, <laughs> let alone all the stats for the guys I play. <laughs>
1: right. But for me, in, in War Machine and maybe other games are different, you almost got to. you got to understand when you look across the table. Now, before the game war machine is is based on miniatures that have these cards and the cards have all the stats on them and anytime you can look at the other person's cards but you can't sit there and look at their cards the entire game there are people who know enough about it to recognize okay i know that guy does that guy does that so you can plan your strategy around it for me it's like i'll do something and it was like well if i would have remembered he would have done that i would have not moved him right there you know that sort of deal and that part even though i've been playing for two years still intimidates me
2: and I think the more you play the better idea you get but I I usually just have like a general idea of this warcaster does this or this troop unit can do this but what's messed me up is I started back with war machine in mark 1 and now they have the new rules which is mark 2 and all the units are slightly different right so I'll go in and play one unit and I'll go okay they can do this and the guys like no, they can't. I'm like, wait a minute. I read their card. It's like, oh, no, they can't. I'm like, I swear they could do this. And I look back at the old card, and sure enough, they mm. could do that Got way back. Nerf. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, so that, that's one thing that I've kind of noticed. There's, there's a couple different groups. It's like those that are into it. That's kind of their main thing, and then, then the casual. And it also seems that recently the miniature games have, have started morphing into something else. It seems like a lot of of the games like War Machine, Warhammer, and stuff, is basically like about obliterating the other person. Wipe them off the board, or War Machine, you know, kill the caster. Granted, there are scenarios that you can try to play for, but that caster kill is always in play. It seems that there's games coming out, and I think this may reflect off the game that was from Games Workshop. It was at Necromunda,
2: ne- ne- Necromunda.
1: Necromunda which had like a campaign system in it, right? or some sort of deal where there was almost like a story or there was different objectives. Right. That seems to be coming back which for me that interests me.
2: Well, in both Necromunda and War Mordheim, you start with a core group of like a gang mm-hmm. and as you go as you play against other people, the gang gets better and you can add more people they get better skills. So it kind of has an RPG aspect to yes. it. Yes.
1: That's what I'm starting to see more of because there are games coming out. Uh, for example, uh, there's a big Kickstarter that just finished by Mantic Games. That was on Dead Zone, which was a sci-fi game uh, where you don't use rulers to measure everything. You have a, like a grid-type system. But it's the same thing where there's a campaign system that you can play over a, a course of a story. There is the um, Infinity which has a little bit different aspect to it. Um, Malifaux, which uses campaigns, they're getting ready to come out with a brand new system 2.0. I was listening to another podcast on the D6 generation where they talked to the creator there talking about how now they're going to have optional upgrades and your guys have different abilities over time. And I thought that's kind of cool. That's kind of RPG-ish. And then there's a game coming out from Catalyst Games Labs Sprawl Gangers, which is going to be their miniatures for the Shadowrun universe, oh, cool. where they're they're what they're trying to do is said they're actually trying to res the old Necromunda gaming group to say now we have a game too that's kind of RPG ish that you play over a course of a campaign. To me, that's very interesting, as opposed to just setting up you guys playing and then the battle's over and you set them up and they haven't changed any. I like the idea of of gaining abilities and having uh, different uh, new skills and stuff over time.
0: Right, and Marty, I've you, you listened Alpha a whole bunch of games. There was a game we played last year at Origins, you know, Leviathans. Yes. Uh, we thought that was really interesting, and I guess you know to tie it all back to all of this, you know, the miniature games. They, it's amazing how they can just teach you so much, especially like your boys play, right? Right. And I don't know if if they're picking up, like, tactics and things like that. It it really does help. I mean, so for anyone in, looking into, and I think, you know, from my standpoint, if you're looking into a miniature game, it really comes down to what you're interested in in either history or, f- or fantasy or whatever. Maybe that's where you need to go. That's what you need to look at. I mean, because you're right. There's a ton of stuff out there if you go to any of the... Um, Online retailers, you can just see the list. Dust Tactics, you mentioned Malifaux, all that good stuff. And I think for anyone who's wanting to jump into it, you really need to say what level do you want to do, how much time do you want to invest in the rules. And of course, you know, we're lucky. We live in an area where the War Machine group is picking up, and that's really helping us out. It's um, bringing that game to the forefront where you know entry level like the 40k and all that we wouldn't even think about but war machine is something we were able to get into mm-hmm.
1: and and i will say this as we're trying to wrap things up and stuff is the fact that um we didn't even talk about this but you're talking about what games to get into uh, unfortunately if you're going to going to go to and type a type of game to where it is like instead of the hero no no that's not true because this is this is the same thing too every miniature game i think is pretty costly I can't think of a game that doesn't take a lot of initial investment of money. And I'll say even hero clicks because you're buying these boosters, trying to get the models that you want or going on eBay and buying them. Uh, So if anybody that's interested in doing it that has not, uh, unfortunately, I don't know if there's a cheap way to do it. You can go and buy starter boxes. Most companies offer like here's a starter unit set. But to be honest with you, Unless you're playing against somebody else with a starter, it's just not going to be enough.
0: Do you know of anything, Steve? Anything that that could maybe get it without? Uh, if I think about my war machine, it forty five dollars for the starter box plus twenty dollars for the paint, and I'm not going to call the other. So I spent you know seventy five dollars just for that starter box,
1: and, and then, well, twenty bucks for the uh, rule book.
0: Yep, yep, you're right. I mean, so so, so
1: you're probably going to get pay a hundred bucks probably for most games just to get the supplies.
2: Well, the, with war machine, you can actually get in right around that 45. If you don't paint because it comes with the starter rules in it. If you have another person that buys, and I know a lot of companies, they have, um, starter armies. I know privateer press does with war machine and hordes where you can get two armies. So you can get somebody else to go in with you. Mm -hmm. And it's, I want to say it's, probably about 40 to 50 dollars a person and then games workshop oh gosh they i know all their prices have gone up since i started but with them i started at probably about 50 dollars for my first basic army that i could actually play mm-hmm. star wars miniatures we didn't even talk about them uh, yeah, the the but the, and that's you the know, that goes back to
0: the collectibles, yeah. Right,
2: and they have starter packs for what twenty bucks, and you can get a decent game in for that, and it's not a bad system.
0: No, it's not. But I think the starter is what one one ship or three ships, two two Imperial, one Alliance, or something. But anyway, you're absolutely right. Um, you can definitely do that, and, and that. But once again, there's your sci-fi. So.
2: Yeah, most miniature games you're gonna, if you just want to start to play casually, it's hard to get in for under thirty dollars, mm-hmm. or f- probably fifty dollars now.
1: It, it really is. I know. Um, I'd mentioned Malifaux earlier. They're right now their rule book's online, so you don't have to buy the rulebook. So you just have to buy the miniature. So there are different strategies some companies use to get you in. But regardless, once you're in and you enjoy it, you're going to have to spend money to buy more models. And I guess you can say that any type of hobby, right? Whether it be magic or whatever, once you're in, it's going to become a money sink.
0: Oh, yeah. Like like Netrunner, Marty, we have to buy booster packs.
1: We got it in.
0: You got it
2: in.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice job. But yeah, and, and one last thing is, it seems like uh, so dice are a big part of most miniatures game, right? The only game I can think of miniatures where dice is not used is Malifaux. And they used a a deck system, a card system. But, and that's part of the game. And a lot of people, sometimes I still have issue with dice. Because sometimes I think, don't think dice are nice to me. But just got to realize it's just part of the game. You have a bad roll. They're guaranteed you're going to have a bad roll too. But the dice part is basically the randomness To remove it from that of chess. Because like I said at the very beginning of this segment. Chess is all about strategy. If you go up against somebody. Who is a lot better than you are. The chances of you winning are pretty slim. Now granted you go against somebody. In Warhammer, War Machine. That's a lot better than you are. Maybe your chances are slim. But there might be that slight chance. To where a dice roll could go your way. To kind of sway things a little bit. And I think that's just the randomness of any game. To make it so that it's not 100% strategy.
0: Yeah, so uh, I agree with you, and but if you play a game, you got to deal with that, you know. Yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, it's just part of the game. And
0: that's fine. That's part of the game. Hey, did Steve? Have you ever played Dust Tactics
2: from Fantasy Flight? I have not. Okay. It looks awesome, and again, pre-painted miniatures. Right, and I was just yeah, and
0: I was just trying to figure it out, you know. Uh, but that's one of those other collectible miniature games. But you're right, pre-painted alternate war kind of kind of cool so. it's like a world war Two alternate yeah that's kind of neat um so i guess marty steve let's sum this up great miniature games on my side pick pick what you're interested in get into it find out what people are playing in your local area I, i'm sure you can get a game up there's no doubt about that how about you marty
2: I,
1: again there is an initial investment that you got to get into so you can't do a lot of them I think the important thing is finding somebody you can play with. I know when we first got into war machine, we were talking to a bunch of different friends. Hey, let's try manager games. What you want to try? Because it's, it's no good. If you buy a game that nobody else wants to play, you got to have somebody to play with. You almost need a full community. So if you're going to try something, go to your game stores or whatever, your game clubs, find some friends who are interested, pick something y'all interested in and give it a shot.
2: Or if you go to the game store and find somebody who has a game you're interested in, they might have more than one army and might be willing to teach you how to play, and so you can find out if you like it or not.
1: That is a very good point. Uh, uh, that, that's that's probably the best point of, of them all. You're right. A lot of people out there who are interested in this game want to get other people into this game. That's just how we are. We're drug dealers in the gaming world. We want gamer to get, evangelists? Yeah, <laughs> we're evangelists, <laughs> yeah, Evangel. game evangelists. Yeah, we want to get other people involved. And so we gamers are more than willing to sit down with you and teach you a game and hope that they can bring another player into the community
0: and and steve you bring up a great point something i haven't seen in our area but i i do know it exists elsewhere because people have told us when we were at origins like you can actually buy people who say you know what for like war machine i'm tired of playing these old nasty trolls i'm going i'll sell them back to my game store and they'll they'll have like used models that you could purchase So, I mean, that's another option. But, yeah, uh, excellent point, sir. Well, Steve, yeah, go ahead.
2: I I think uh, Privateer Press learned from Games Workshop because Games Workshop had their Outrider program. And that's what an Outrider would do. They'd go to game stores and demo games. So people could walk in, try a game out. If they liked it, they'd buy it. Now, Privateer Press has their press gangers. And press gangers will run the tournaments, but they'll also demo the games to people. And you, they have to have two armies that they can use. and Or be able to get two armies that they can use.
1: <laughs> right.
2: Yes.
0: And you know what? It's it's, it's awesome. There, there's, there's no... Uh, I mean, Marty, you've tried it to always be able to support the... Um, the community by, by getting your volunteers in.
2: I can't edit out the toilet
1: flush. I'm sorry. That was awesome. <laughs> I tried not to let it go. It's like that is very obvious what just happened. So I'm sorry. I don't know where Steve is recording this from. And actually, I kind of don't want to know now. So
0: actually, we're that on Google Plus. Oh, she's gonna love you for that one, man. We're on Google Plus. We know where Steve's at. We you know he showed us the. He gave us the tour there. It's right behind him over there, man. So, oh,
2: so okay. maybe that's an
0: excellent segue to our to Steve. We appreciate you bringing in, bringing this. Oh, but I gotta sun. go. <laughs> but I gotta go.
1: No, I gotta go. We need a bio break. Bio break. Uh
0: We appreciate you getting on the show again with us as always. Uh, we, it, uh, you bring a lot of knowledge and information to us around the miniatures and RPGs and everything else and and we f- thanks once again for that most incredible logo. Holy cow!
1: Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, it's Steve is is the guy who designed our logo and it is just so nice. If anybody needs any logo work. Good
2: plug time, plug time. Go
1: to Steve's website at Steve. What is
2: it? Sgibbsdesign.com.
1: Sgibbsdesign.com. That's uh, Gibbs with two B's.
0: And Steve, what are you working on now? Are you got anything in the works for somebody out there that you want to just you know, say you're, you're working on something besides you did ours and you did something for barbecue? Oh, uh, Master Chef, too, guys. Don't forget, he's a Master Chef.
2: My barbecue blog. Lately, I've just been doing a lot of stuff for friends and family. Just helping them out. Okay. If you want to see it, it's up on my my website again. And you mentioned
0: something the other day. What's this about a rub? You're working on commercializing a whoa, rub. Whoa, whoa! It's some.
1: not that kind of show. Uh, easy now. <laughs> well, I don't know. We
0: just had a toilet in the background. Oh, that's true.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but no, for for I was going to say pork buzz, but then you'd
2: say something again else, Marty. Whoa, but. whoa! It's not that. Sorry. <laughs> It's not a barbecue cooking show, but we could make it that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no. My no, other but, passions. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. That's yeah, so Steve is him.
1: also a barbecue connoisseur, and he's he, he always corrects me when I say, like, oh, this is barbecue. It's like, no, it's not. And like he told me today, unless there's fire and smoke involved, this is not a barbecue. So there you go.
2: And boiling it doesn't count. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, well. All right, cool. well, again,
1: thank you so much for coming on, and it's, it, it, thanks for taking time to do all the research on the history and stuff, too. That, that was really interesting. Oh, you're welcome.
0: It was very good reading. I appreciated that. It was amazing. And hopefully sometime, if you've, have you ever played an Avalon Hill, Steve?
2: I've, I've played a couple of their games. What they are, I could not tell you right off. It's been a long time.
0: My uncle gave me his Gettysburg one. It was sitting on a shelf, never been opened. I opened it because I had to. I probably should because it wasn't going for anything on eBay, but that's beside the point. Uh, so I opened it. So maybe sometime we three can get together and we can work through the rules. That would be fun. Sure. That would be fun to bring out one of those. And Mayfair Games, Marty, um, the Bob and Angus show that was released today tied in perfectly with this because they talked about their, um, uh, God, what was the name of that war game that they have? Um, where they recreate the Civil War, but they actually introduced Bob and Angus introduced mole men in the Civil War, where they put two boards side by side and they had the mole men. It was, anyway, Bob and Angus love them.
1: Yeah. So I'll go look that one up. Okay.
0: My bad. Well, you're going to be there at Origins next week. So,
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: you know. I'll, I'll go talk to them. Uh,
2: uh, yeah, all right. That's, all, that's great. Again,
1: thank you so much, Steve, and you have a great night. All right.
2: You're welcome. Thank you.
1: So that pretty much wraps up episode 16. Love is a battlefield. We didn't learn much about Pat Benatar, but we did learn about uh, some miniatures, didn't we, Tony?
0: Yeah. Oh, we learned a lot about it, a lot about the history, good information. It was amazing. I mean, you know, luckily the show wasn't in the crapper, but anyway, but we heard the crapper. We heard it and it was a good show. A lot of good information, the various collectible miniatures, uh, painting miniatures, what you have to do to get in, uh, another another good show for us on that. And I look forward to hear about your report from Origins and what happened there. And, of course, I'm going to be jealous and, and can't wait to hear it, see all your tweets that are going to be coming up from our at Roll Dice. No, that's not oh it. My I almost gosh. had it. Uh, it's at,
1: uh, at Dice and
0: Names. There you go. There, I got it. Yeah, well, obviously at this will dice. come out
1: after Origins, so – if if you want to you can go back and look at our Twitter feed and see all the stuff that I put out there. But yeah, so it it, it was a good show and we do thank Steve again for coming on and, and doing all that stuff for us as as normal. It's one of those things we have guests on to help give us credibility and I think it helps.
0: Without a doubt. So other than that, we don't want to run too long like we did in the last show. Um, so guys, if you would just keep rolling dice. And
1: taking that well, hold on. What? Sorry. So, anyway, if you want to, you can check us out on Twitter at Dice and Names. <laughs> and then you can also go to our website, www.RollDiceTakeNames.com. Uh, we also have a Board Game Geek Guild, and we're also on Facebook. Okay, now you can do it.
0: Go ahead. You, you can, can ruin it. the moment. You can do you it. You the moment. Do it. Okay, fine. It. As always, keep rolling dice. And taking
1: names.
2: This episode was sponsored by the Gamers Codex, your source for game news, reviews,
0: and a fun place to discuss the games you enjoy playing. Visit them at thegamerscodex.com. Touch me, touch me, I want to feel your body. Touch me, I want to feel, never mind. Yeah, don't. Sorry, don't do that.